Okay, our reading today comes from Judges 6, so if you want to get your Bibles, mobile devices out, we'll be there. Uh, we're going to bop around a little bit into uh, Hebrews as well, Hebrews 12, so that's maybe the two big ones. So this is called The Call of Gideon, and The Call of Gideon is actually more than just this chapter, uh, but this is, this is kind of the meat of the of this story when God talks to him. So Judges 6, 11 through 18. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Bizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and send it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. This is the word of the Lord. So grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is a a little recap of last week. If you weren't here, we talked about when Joshua was called and the strong to be, this call to be strong and courageous. And that's a very famous verse. A lot of it maybe even have it as a confirmation verse. And the call to be strong and courageous by God to Joshua is the same for us Christians, to be strong and courageous in the things of God. And why can we be strong and courageous? Not because there's anything special about Joshua or Gideon or anybody or us. What's special is because God is with us. And it's, rep- it's recounted again here. God is with us. And he is the one who has given us the power. He's the one who makes us strong and courageous because he is the one that's doing the work. And that's a, a wonderful message. And he sends Joshua, says, all right, cross the River Jordan, take over the promised land. Do stay in my word, do not veer from the right or the left, and things will go great. Well, here we are some years later, and things are not going so great. Obviously, there was a a problem, and God apparently had um, left his people, potentially. They were wondering where he was, and he gave them the Midianites, and these Midianites were, well, opportunists. There's... They have like over 100,000 soldiers, so every year they'd let the Israel, you know, hey, why don't you grow the crops for us? It'd be like, you know, all the farmers here and I will grow all the crops, and then, you know, right before the harvest, maybe in September and October sometime, we're just going to roll into town and take it all. That's kind of what was happening to them. So they were desperate. They, were, they had no hope. They were, they, they were hiding out in caves. They couldn't even keep everything they did, and so they finally were calling out to God, and this is where we see God responding. And it says, and the, Lord, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
And where all of his wonderful deeds the fathers recounted, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. So we have another instance in the Old Testament. And you've, you know, we've heard this story over and over. The Israelites start worshiping false gods. God punishes them. He allows them to be oppressed. They repent. He restores and they screw up again, and they, right? And we get the, the endless cycle here during this time of the judges. Many times people wonder, are they being punished because of what they've done? There's lots of words, especially in the Old Testament, about punishment. In Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, I, the Lord, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then he gives that command, and right away there's the golden calf incident. Remember that? There's a part that didn't quite make the movie, and there's a part that we don't really talk about. You know, they came down, and uh, well, there were some consequences to that whole golden calf thing, leading them away from the one true God, worshiping this piece of metal. Uh, God commanded his men to kill 3,000 of them. You might want to reread that part. That's usually left out. Uh, Those were the 3,000 ringleaders who had fallen away and led others, and uh, God commanded them to be killed by their own family members. So God does punish, and he punishes much in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 21, it says, I will punish you as your deeds deserve. We need to remember that these covenants that Joshua was under, that he would find great success if they didn't veer from God's word from the left or to the right. Again, these are what we call conditional covenants. I am partaking in a conditional covenant right now. It's called marriage to my wife. So here's the marriage part. So are there things I'm supposed to do and not do as a husband? Husbands, are there things we're supposed to do and not do? As hu- yes, there's definitely. And if we veer from the left into the right of that thing, does it, well, we know, right? And that's a good thing. There are some lines that I should never cross or else I have broken that covenant. That is kind of what we're talking about here. The unconditional covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, was when Abram was actually put to sleep and they divided the animals in half. That was the ritual to make a covenant and each party would walk between the animals. Abram was taking a nap. God fulfilled the covenant. He says, you guys can't take care of this. I'm going to do this. This is something that will be done and will not be dependent upon you. It's going to be dependent upon me. That is the Abrahamic covenant and it has been fulfilled in Christ. You and I are part of that covenant. And Jesus fulfilled all of the covenants. He is the one. He became Israel down to one, and he fulfills all of the covenants of God. And now we have been joined with his life, death, and resurrection in our baptism, and now we are part of his family, and we get the benefits of the covenant fulfillment. So right now, are you being punished for your sins? 
Absolutely not. Where did the punishment of sins go? Where did, where did that happen? On Christ. Israel shrunk down to one. The punishment was put on him unjustly. He didn't deserve it, but he willingly takes it for you and for me. And now there is no more punishment. When you and I sin, we aren't being punished. Christ was punished for you and for me. So when I hear people saying, I'm, I'm a, I did something and God's punishing me. No, he's not. He punished his son for you. He forsook his son and he's not forsaking you. So God does not punish you for your sins. If you get anything out of this, remember that. God is not punishing you for your sins. But there is a loving thing that he has also done for us. He sent his son out of love. And who he loves, we're his children, right? And what do we do for our children? We discipline. Discipline from the Lord is definitely part of being part of his family. We see in Hebrews 12, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then all are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share, in, share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And we studied Revelation last year. It says right in there, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So as Christians... We should gladly receive the discipline of the Lord. We need it. Left to ourselves and us deciding what we should do, we're like little kids who are just doing whatever they want. I mean, especially when my kids, I just had a wonderful conversation with my daughter. You know, she's engaged. She's 19. She's crazy to think how old she is, but I'm just remembering her. We had this conversation when she was three years old, she had a strong will. Let's put it that way. She had a very strong will. I do it myself. You can't tell me. I told her about the worst temper tantrum she ever had. I carry on her shoulder for blocks. Why did I discipline my daughter? Because I love her. <laughs> and it's cool to see a young adult walking the ways of the Lord. So I'm not sure how I'm going to officiate that way. <laughs> By the way, that's going to be hard. Maybe I should have somebody else do that. Anyway. But there is a wonderful thing when you see, well, discipline work, right? God loves you, and he disciplines you. How does he discipline you? He disciplines you through his word. When we hear his commands, it reminds us that's what I'm supposed to do, or that's what I'm not supposed to do. I'm being disciplined through the word of God. As a body of believers, 
you should not be in isolation ever. This is why you should be accountable to other people and be disciplined. That is a good thing, to be accountable to God and his word. In 1 Peter 2, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who you are. The world says this really weird thing, and I still have no idea what it means, and I'm sure you've all heard it. Love is love is love is love. What does that even mean? I don't know. What, it's like saying Dan is Dan is Dan is Dan. I'm like, okay, what, okay well, that doesn't make any sense. The code behind that is love is love is love is love is you should let people do whatever they want and you stick your own, stay out of their business. As long as it's not hurting you, back off. Was my toddler hurting me when they were screwing up? Not really. I cared for them. I loved them. I disciplined them. I directed them in the proper way. This is what we should be doing for each other. God loves you, so he disciplines. He doesn't say, go and do whatever you want, because he knows if you go and do whatever you want, it's going to go sideways really fast. And this is what happened in Gideon's time. And it still happens with you and me. So did a good thing happen from this Midianite oppression? The answer is yes. God's people repented, and they called upon God, and he said, all right, let's take care of this problem called the Midianites, and I'm sending Gideon. Now, Gideon, self-proclaimed, is not uh, awesome. He's the lowest of the low of his clan. He tries to discredit himself. He tries to get out of it. Sounds familiar, like Moses. And other, like, I'm not good enough to do this thing you're calling me. And the answer is, exactly. <laughs> you aren't. And that's why I'm actually picking you so no one is mistaken that it's you. I want them to know that it is me that's doing this thing. It is a really kind of a cool story. So here's the rest of the story. Gideon's like, all right, I want to make sure it's you, so I'm going to test you, God. I want to make sure this is actually you telling me to do this because I'm freaked out, and uh, I really don't want to, you know, go get killed for no reason. So he says, I'm going to put a wool fleece out, and if there's dew on that and not everything else, good. Now that happened. Oh, well, that's not good. Let's do it again. Uh, I, I'll put a fleece out. If that's dry and everything else is wet, okay. And then he, and he's still freaked out, and he says, all right, well, go get some soldiers. He gets, you know, tens of thousands of soldiers, and God's like, nah, uh too much, too many, too many guys, because if you go and win, you're going to think you all did this thing, so get rid of them. Send a bunch home, and then whoever's left, there's like 10,000 left, go down to the river, and whoever drinks out of the water with their hands, that's, that's who you got. And it was 300 guys. Not to be mistaken for the movie 300, by the way, those, you know. They're not those kind of guys, all right? There's 300 guys, and you know what they're armed with? Uh, trumpets and glass and, and jars to break. You know, really weapons of destruction, especially for the trumpet players in here, I bet. So he sends them down to the camp, and Gideon is still freaked out. He's like, I need a little more proof, because there's literally 135,000 soldiers out here, and there's 300 of us. 
So God says, all right, sneak down in there, and he hears the soldiers. Somebody had a dream, and somebody said, hey, I heard Gideon and his mighty men are going to come kick our tail. He's like, all right, I'm in. So Gideon, he goes out. They, uh, they break up, and they surround the camp, and when he toots the horn, everybody does it. They break the jars, and those soldiers start killing each other. <laughs> they just get confused, and they look at, they, they, God confuses them, and they start killing each other. 120,000 dead bodies. About 15,000 fled, and they went after them. So is anybody thinking that Gideon did this thing? No. Did God deliver on his promise? 100%. And it's a kind of a cool story, but the biggest take I get from that it reminds me again, it reminds you and me again that God works through the weak. He works through us. Could have God just sent an angel? There's another story where he does. But couldn't he just send an angel and just did it like instantly? Just wipe him out? Yeah, he could have. But God consistently works in and through his people. He wants them to know that he wants them to partake in the work. Again, here we are, partaking in the works of righteousness. Christianity is a team sport, not a spectator sport. So this idea of being weak and God using us weak people, and that's where we, well, I think, I think every time I think of that, I think of Paul, right? Paul had a lot of bad things happen to him, and you know the situation where he has the thorn in his side? We're not exactly sure what the thorn is. It might have been a demonic antagonist. It might have been a physical ailment. It might have been who knows what. We don't know. But we do know that he asked God three times to take it away. And God said, no. Why? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, I sh that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is Sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, this is the, the pot, the vessel, the clay pot. It says, the broken vessel or pot does not diminish the power of the gift. So little Ellis. People say we should have faith like a child, right? That's what it looks like. Faith like a child. She didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's a free gift. And she has been given the gift of faith, and so have you and I. That is what it looks like to have childlike faith, to humble yourself, to realize, I don't deserve this. This is a gift from God, from a loving Father. And as his children, we desire his love. And his love looks like discipline. It's a good thing. 
So not even Moses or Joshua or Gideon or Paul or you or me can discredit the work of God because of our weakness. I don't, whatever's going on in your life right now, I can make literally hundreds of excuses <laughs> why I can't do things and why I'm not, I don't have time or I don't have energy or I don't blah, 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 blah. I can, I don't have, I'm not brave enough. I mean, last week was all about being strong and courageous, right? Why could we be strong and courageous? Because God is with us. God is with you. He continues to be with you. So if you're going through a really hard time right now and you're feeling weak, and for those of you who have had those times and you're on the other end of that, well, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Because you are forced to rely on God, period. He is the answer, not you. Isn't that great? <laughs> you are not the solution. Jesus is the solution. And as we have our faith and our trust and our hope, regardless of our circumstances, God will use us to do his will and work. So you can plead with God all you want that I'm not qualified, I can't do that, blah, blah. He's like, um, exactly. That's why I'm calling you to do this. You are my people. I love you. We hear his voice and we do what he says. So this week, as we go out, and we, well, good or bad things happen, right? This is where I get scared sometimes because I read scripture like this and he says, uh, my power is complete in your weakness. And I'm like, uh-oh, that, that means things are gonna go sideways for me because that's what God does his best work in me. Show up at a hospital, show up at a funeral, show up at a nursing home, show up at a disaster, show up at any of these things. God is working in the weakness. Our faith, our hope, and our trust in the Lord is what sustains us in those times. God is with you in those times. And that is a tremendous witness to the world when there is no hope apart from Christ. Then you get to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So as God's people, remember that. Your weakness is his strength. His discipline and love is a gift, and we should embrace that. And the world, they need it, and we have it in Christ's name. Amen? Will you stand and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the, the gift of faith, that your spirit is with us, that you're always with us, and that especially when things are going hard, when we feel weak, that is where we know you are strong, and we thank you that you don't call the, the great and the mighty, you call us weak sinners to do your, world, your will and work in this world, and we we do look forward to your return, but as your church, help us to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. Amen.